Thanks for joining me today for a second and final installment of our two-part series in which we talk about radical change in the church and how the church can respond. Thinker and author Phyllis Tickle said that the church is due for a huge Reformation-style rummage sale, an event that historically has happened every 500 years or so. She says we're living in a time where the church needs to closely examine everything it does and ask why it does it. The church is changing so rapidly that to ignore the change is at our own peril. What must the church do in this new and foreign landscape to revitalize its reason for being? Hi, my name is Dan Dick, and welcome to another episode of Church Matters. We'll pick up where we left off in our last episode with Dr. Stuart Blythe speaking on this theme. Stuart is the rector at the International Baptist Theological Seminary in Amsterdam. Originally from Scotland, Stuart has a PhD in homiletics from Edinburgh and calls himself a practical theologian. Prior to taking on the role of rector, he was a pastor of Baptist churches in Scotland. Stuart has a strong interest in Anabaptism and the congregation as the center of God's mission. Stuart was keynote speaker at the Leadership in Ministry seminar February 9th to 11th at Canadian Mennonite University. Stuart and his wife have two adult children. Stuart, I attended your presentations and was intrigued by a number of comments you made about the church. Churches are often called upon to issue position statements, whether on nuclear weapons, physician-assisted suicide, immigration, and so on. Should the church be challenging governments or making proclamations to its own body of believers? Where is our prophetic voice best placed? I think our starting point has to be what is our own position in relation to this issue. And therefore, again, I will use a con- uh, an example from my own context. I think the interesting thing for Baptists, for example, in Scotland to do about nuclear weapons would be to state how they, as followers of Jesus Christ, will respond to nuclear weapons. And so may well come up with a statement that would say something, we as followers of Jesus Christ will not be complicit in the maintenance or use of weapons of mass destruction. Once we make that point, it puts an ethical obligation upon us as to how we then live. Then I think we ask the question of how can we bear witness to the state in the light of our witness so that we then don't go at the state saying you should be against nuclear weapons where we haven't made any ethical statement about ourselves. And I think in all these issues, we need to ask ourselves the, the first question is, how are we going to live? What does this mean in practice for us? And only from that standpoint, do I think we can then be prophetic? Because it's quite easy to give the state a hard time over what it's doing, but accept no personal responsibility or communal responsibility for what that means for our own lives. That said, I think it's okay to speak into public and to say, as a church, this is what we believe, because if we don't say that, that will remain absent from the conversation. So I think it is important also to say that publicly. And if it does nothing else, it means that has been said rather than unsaid or left silent. In one of your presentations, you said that the call of Jesus is both a call to radical obedience and a call to grace. Can you unpack that statement for us? Yeah, I think that was in reference to Mark 1 and Mark 2, passages where with the, the, the calling of the, the fishermen as the first disciples, and then in Mark 2, the calling of Levi. On the one hand, what I was saying is that the call to discipleship came at Jesus' initiative. He walked, he saw, he invited. So it was his initiative. Uh, that, that would be in contrast to rabbis of Jesus' time, 
whereby people would apply to him. And normally fishermen and tax collectors were not among those who would be accepted. So it's a grace call. It's a call that comes, first of all, from God reaching out to us. In response, however, grace both expects and perhaps enables people then to, to leave nets, uh, to leave family, to leave established cultural patterns and to leave their behaviours and to follow on the journey of discipleship. And that, I think, is the radical call of that. Someone once said that, in fact, to follow Jesus can be class treason because to follow him means that you are, in fact, at times leaving behind some very established social, cultural, economic situations. That's a radical part. But the grace part is that this is an invitation that first comes from God to us rather than us seeking God to do this. You made two other comments separately that I want to bring together. One was, Christian community is committed at the core and open on the edges. And the second statement you made at a different time was, to pretend that we can somehow be separate from our culture is a lie. What do these two linked ideas look like in a church setting? I think, let me take the second one first. In a church setting, the reality is we don't simply belong to a church community. We belong to many different communities. And therefore, we are explicitly and implicitly entangled with culture around us. That, that's just a fact. People go to work, people shop, people vote. So to say that somehow we, we exist separate from these other communities is simply not true. In terms of committed at the core and open at the edges, for me, that's worked out in a congregation whereby somehow we find ways which allow those if I can use this language, who make the church work. People do make communities work. Somewhere at the core of communities are people who make that community work, maybe by their giving, maybe by their time, maybe by their commitment. The danger in a, a committed community is that we then become exclusive. We, we shut out the other. And I think that we want to have communities that are very committed to making our church communities work. But in our dealing with others who are not at that stage of commitment, there should be a generosity, a, an open space of coming and going. In biblical language, we should be prepared to sit and, and eat with everyone, regardless of our own heartfelt convictions about issues. I, the, the notion of table fellowship, again, that particular one comes back from the, the passage of calling of the disciples in the Gospel of Mark. And I'm, I'm always fascinated by here are these uh, fishermen who are called to a radical life of obedience. Levi, who leaves his his table and goes to follow Jesus, and then the first place we find them is having table fellowship with sinners. That combination of a radical call to obedience but a generous openness to others, I think, is an ethos that a church has to develop. And that was when I used when I was pastor in a Baptist church in Scotland, that was not our mission statement, it was our ethos statement. This is how it feels around here. This is how we are going to try and be as a group of people. So I think it's a generosity and spirit towards others that comes from your commitment to Jesus. It's not contrary to it. To me, Jesus, if we, if we talk about Jesus in relation to God, was the most committed and in biblical language was the most sinless person who ever lived, he was also stunningly the most open person. For me, one flows from the other. And and I think that's where I, it's an ethos in a church. It's an approach rather than a program. 
and it's recognising in fact that people in fact are mixed up in a whole range of, of different areas and different communities in their life other than the one albeit central church community. Looking at the future through a glass dimly, isn't it an advantage to have been raised in the church or not? I don't know. I think looking at the future though, communities, church communities who historically have seen their future dependent upon their children growing up in the church, I think they have to think very hard both about how they allow those children who are growing up to actually own that tradition that they're growing up in for themselves. We have to think ways. How, how do the way we raise our children yet allow them not simply to assume but to own that faith for themselves? I think such communities, however, are also going to ask, have to ask the question, how do we attract other people who have not been brought up in that tradition into our tradition? So I think there's a challenge there. On the flip side, I think that church communities who have tended to emphasise we go out and reach and win other people are going to have to explore, A, how do they actually do that? But I think they then have to ask the question, how do we actually bring up our own children in the faith? Do we constantly seek to evangelise them when in fact they've already been raised in the faith and they already own it? So I think there's a double thing going on there depending upon the background of a particular tradition. So I think both are essential and need to to feed in to one another. In many ways, I'm happy for me personally because I wasn't brought up in the faith. I quite enjoy the the position of sitting slightly in the edge. I'm not an outsider. I mean, I'm so complicit and implicit in the church now and have been. But it gives a different perspective that I think is very, very healthy. Congregations are made up of a great diversity of people, from those who have been raised in the church and know their Bible to folks who have recently come to faith and are on a steep learning curve. What advice might you have for pastors who are challenged to bring relevant teaching to and hold the attention of such a diverse audience? Don't put all weight on the Sunday sermon. Don't think that's where this is all dealt with and done. I think there can be the temptation or the pressure that we think that whatever we mean by teaching and reaching all different groups is done in that. It depends how long the sermon is. depends on the the, the nature of it. But I don't think we should put the full freight of what it means to to teach the faith to other people on a Sunday morning. It can't bear that way. It just collapses under it and doesn't really actually help anybody. So I think just recognising that takes huge pressure off. I'm quite happy to say, this is what we're doing here. We're not doing this. We're not doing that. But we are doing this. That and this we do elsewhere. goes back to your earlier comments about transp- transparency and authenticity. Yes, it? absolutely. Yeah, and not and not trying. I mean, I, often, again, some of the contexts I've been in, everything was, was freighted. The Sunday service had to deliver evangelism. It had to deliver teaching. It had to deliver teaching for new believers, old believers. I mean, that just doesn't happen. So I think we should just say it doesn't happen. Let's see what we are doing and deal with these other issues in other areas rather than trying to weigh it all in an hour or an hour and a half or however long the Sunday service is. It just can't be done, I don't think. Change the expectations. Yeah, yeah. Stuart, thanks very much for coming into the studio today and sharing your insights with me and with our listeners. It's okay. Thank you very much. It's nice to be here. That completes the second and final part of our two-part series on radical change in the church and how the church can respond. 
You can join me again in just four weeks for another episode of Church Matters. We're here for you at 8.45 a.m. on the third Sunday of every month. And we always welcome your feedback to the program, and we love to hear listener ideas for topics and themes you'd like us to cover. We always welcome your feedback to the program, and we love to hear listener ideas for topics and themes you'd like us to cover. Wrap up your email with a ribbon and dash it off to churchmatters at mennonitechurch.ca. We also accept your phone calls and financial support for this program at 1-866-888-6785, or you can visit mennonitechurch.ca and click on the donate link. I'm your host, Dan Dick. Know that you are called, equipped, and sent to be the church in the world today. Thanks for listening. As you go out from here, may the Lord go with you. The face of God shine on you every day. We are sent by God wherever we are living, salt and light as people of the way. Salt and light as people of the way.